second part of order now. And um, we want to deal with this concept of how does order work with grace? And we touched on it last year. When it comes to um, order and grace, God has set up two systems in the universe. God has set up two systems in the universe. One is a system of grace and the other is a system of order. Another word for order is government. God has set up two systems on the face of the earth, order and government. And when it comes to order and government, we see that when it comes to, sorry, when it comes to order and grace, we see that in grace, all relationships are equal. I'll explain that. All relationships are equal. There are no limitations, no boundaries. There are no limitations, no boundaries. As in, doesn't matter who you are and what you've done, there's grace. Doesn't matter the extent to which you pushed it, there's grace. Doesn't matter how far away or how close you are, there are no boundaries. Grace just extends. There is no boundary. But when it comes to order, there's divine arrangement, as in, we talked about this last time, as in rank, function, place. And there are responsibilities... And there are boundaries. Ha! That's one thing taken care of for Saturday. There are boundaries. So when it comes to order, there is a divine arrangement of things. There is rank. There is a proper place that has been given to us in to fulfill functions we are supposed to fulfill. There are responsibilities. With order comes responsibilities. And there is, there are boundaries which we are not supposed to cross. See, in Jesus, order and grace come together. So, or government and grace come together. So, Jesus was sent as the savior of the world to provide grace to everybody without limit past any known human boundary. Everybody is equal. He died for all mankind. And yet, in him there is government, which is what we hear of in Isaiah 9-6 where it says, of his government there shall be no end, in the sense that in Christ is also this thing called, I have come to set up a kingdom. And in the kingdom there is a code by which we need to live. So, let me put it this way, guys. Under the order of God, you and I are, cannot walk away or out of bounds as we please. But in the grace of God, should we walk beyond boundaries, the grace of God covers us. Let me say that again. In the order of God, there are places that we are supposed to operate in. And if we cross those bounds, we are out of order. But in the grace of God, when we cross those bounds and out of, are out of order, God's grace comes and brings us back. Happened with Adam. There were things that Adam 
had to follow in terms of order God had placed. When he broke that order, there were consequences. He was out of order. But then along comes the seed who restores the Adam who is out of order back into order. Same with Paul and Barnabas and Mark. Mark had to stay in order while they were on a mission trip. What did he do? He broke away and he left. What does grace do? In the letter to Philemon, yeah, I think it's in the letter to Philemon, or Titus. Titus? Yeah, or, where, in which book is Mark restored? Okay. He's restored back. Mark is restored in one of the epistles that Paul writes. So what happens then, guys, is you can break order and there are consequences, but there is grace to restore you back to where you need to be. So don't take advantage of grace by breaking order. But know that should you break order, there is grace to cover you. There are bound. We talked about this last time. Go listen to the CD from last time. I'll be putting it up on the um, um, uh, website too. And I'm stopping at the 69th minute of the CD because um, uh, I've got names and nations mentioned after that, which I don't want uh, to, to people to hear. But you will hear there the, the, what we talked last week, last week that there are there's boundaries, there are limits. Uh, remember the definition for order in case some of you weren't here. Order, not the definition, the description. The order is equal to uh, origin. These are the things you have to look for. Plus purpose, plus function, plus proper place. All order, especially when it's from God, all order will have its origin in God. Order has its origin in God. It can be traced back to its origin in God. Secondly, order has purpose. God arranged things a certain way because he had a purpose that he wanted to fulfill. Sometimes you can understand the purpose. Other times you can't understand it. Your lack of understanding of God's purpose does not nullify it and does not give you reason to walk out of it. Many times we don't like the arrangement of things that God has established. So we say, nah. Because you don't like it or don't understand it doesn't nullify it. You may not like gravity. Don't try doing anything that is anti-gravity. You may not understand how you fall at 9.8 meters per second square. Who the heck cares? Don't jump off a building. And after purpose comes function. In God's purpose, He has ordered things a certain way. Now that He has ordered things a certain way, He expects each person to fulfill a function so that his purpose may come to pass. And for you to function, he will put you in a proper place because without being in that proper place, you will not be able to function the way you're supposed to. And that proper place can change as you show yourself faithful in the proper place allotted to you now.
you will find that the proper place will change. Your function will change. The purpose remains constant and the origin of order is forever. It's awesome what God has done. Therefore, with Christ, even though the Father, Son and Spirit are co-equal, in, uh, th- there was an order, order that came out of the Godhead. The origin is in the Godhead. What is the purpose? The purpose was to set up a kingdom here on earth and to sacrifice the Son for the sins of the world. That was the purpose. What was the function? The function was the King of the universe, the Creator of the universe now had to come down to lay his life down to establish his kingdom. What was the proper place? The proper place was that of a bond servant. I'm just giving you one aspect of Christ's living. He was many other things in terms of proper place. At any point if Christ says, nah, proper place, this don't fit me. That's how you, it's a transliteration of Hebrew, this don't fit me. And if he did that, it wouldn't work, man. Okay. Let's assume that in a church, authority... Let's let's take a family. In a family, or in a church, authority... Which one do you want to take? Church, family, church, family. Quickly, quickly, quickly. Family. Both? <laughs> in a church God's authority or order comes from the origin meaning God whose house it is is it his house so he has the right <laughs> to have origin in terms of order what is his purpose that we be built together into a temple for the spirit of God that we become kingdom people here on earth What is the function that we represent Christ accurately? That each of us be built up as a body. Muscle, tendons, ligaments coming together. Therefore, people will be put in proper place to equip, to minister, to encourage, to provide whatever is required for the body to come into fullness. Go to the family. All families on the face of the earth, according to the book of James, get their fatherhood from God. The origin or the order is from God. What is the purpose? So that a family may, one, replenish the earth, two, begin to nurture uh, ones into fullness, three, that uh, husband and wife may be co-equal and begin to function as emissaries of God here, four, that they are made complete together. Uh, Go easy on the fourth point. Uh, So, uh, for this function to be fulfilled, proper place has to come in. And in the proper place, like it or not, believe it or not, even though husband and wife are co-equal, the husband is first among equals. Which brings in a whole host of responsibilities. Oh my... Guys, just remember this. If you are first among equals in any situation, know that the responsibilities upon you are multiplied. And the first one to be held accountable will be the one who has been given that position of first among equals. You will be held responsible. In this church, no one will be held to greater accountability or greater responsibility than me. 
And the, I'm talking about not in the sweet by and by. I'm talking about here in the now and now. I'm talking about here. Any questions? Uh, just, just one point, and then you can ask. Guys, order has to be embraced by Christians with not just in actions, but with willingness. In the world, how we do it is we act out our um, submission to order because we may lose our job, we may lose our wages, we may um, lose favor with the boss or wherever we work. But as Christians, we... Yeah. Yeah. With Christians, we have to come into order because we embrace it both willingly and obediently. So it, Isaiah 112 or 114 kicks in. You will eat the good of the land when you are both willing and obedient. It's both. It's not just actions. It's a willingness. It's a willingness. Okay, go ahead, Diana. It, it deals with um, roles, rank, location. Twenty-seven minutes, thirty-two seconds. It's fifteen minutes. It's a math special. It's a discounted thing. Yeah, not everybody else gets what you get, man. You're special. Okay, guys, the heavens may cover. The heavens may cover, but will not rule in the areas of your life here on earth where you're out of order. The heavens may cover. Meaning they'll provide a shade, as in cloud, as in grace. The heavens may cover, but the heavens will not rule in the areas of your life here on earth that you're out of order. Remember, Eddie talked about the heavens invading the earth. Meaning, the ways of God invading your ways in different areas, bringing amazing results will not be possible. Heavens will not rule in the areas of my life where I choose not to walk in order. The grace of God may cover me, but it will not, the heavens will not rule in those areas. Do you, see why in, do you see why in the situation of a church that does not have its origin in godly order, does not have these things flowing in it, the grace of God will prevail there. But it is impossible for the heavens to rule here on earth if order is not there. Not possible. Same in a family. Same in your own individual lives. Okay. Let's talk about order and the spirit realm. Order and the spirit realm. No. No. Order is the way God has arranged things for us to function in. Obedience is only a part of it. We have to understand the divine arraignment of things in every area of our lives. And we'll talk about some of the areas today. 
Guys, when it comes to order in the spirit realm, the first thing I want to look at is uh, how God first, after the flood, started um, uh, replenishing the earth with peoples and nations. So go to Genesis 10.32, because I want to... I want to show you something progressively. Genesis 10.32. So when you go to Genesis 10.32, and this is uh, after the flood. Before Babel, but after the flood. Genesis 10.32 says, These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Or in another version it says, This is the family tree of the sons of Noah as they developed into nations. From them, nations developed all across the earth after the flood. I want to go to another scripture now. Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. And you may have to make a correction in your Bible version. And... um, Correction as in you may have to write this. I'm not saying cross out anything. I'm just saying write this on the side. Because this is one scripture that unfortunately, based on the understanding of some biblical scholars, uh, is uh, either diluted or um, left in a way that doesn't really uh, give it its original sense. Go to Deuteronomy 32.8. Deuteronomy 32.8. NIV says, when the Most High gave nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries for the people according to the numbers of the sons of Israel. It should actually read, when the Most High God gave the nations their stake or their inheritance, or gave them their place on earth, he put each of the peoples within boundaries under the care not of the sons of Israel but under the care of divine guardians under the care of divine guardians that is how it should read Jacob is that something you've just decided because you want to preach this message no I went and actually have notes on why this was interpreted wrongly and why this is the correct interpretation so this isn't something that I pulled out this week and not for this message. I, I can confirm that, but the Maybe Reverend you can make that change before if you want us to focus on it. Okay, there you go. Uh, so what you have to change is instead of the sons of Israel, you have to put in the word divine guardians. I'm not saying cross out something. I'm just saying write it on the side. Crossing out something seems a little, in my mind it seems a little radical. So just write it on the side. <laughs> So let me read that verse again then. Deuteronomy 32.8 When the Most High God gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided all mankind, He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of divine guardians. Or in another, uh, let, me, let me read it from another version which makes it even simpler. When the High God gave the nations their inheritance, gave them their place on earth, He put each of the peoples within boundaries under the care of divine guardians. I'm just going to write that down. He put he put each of the peoples within boundaries
under the under the care of divine guardians. Okay. This is what we see played out in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and Daniel chapter 10, verse 21. Go to Daniel 12. Daniel 12, 1. Daniel 12, 1. Daniel 12.1 says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. Michael here is the archangel. Michael. Michael, your great prince will arise. Go to 10.21. This is again um, um, Gabriel speaking to Michael. And this is what he says. Gabriel speaking to Daniel. And this is what he says to Daniel. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. And then he says, no one supports me against them except Michael your priest. Uh, Sorry, Michael your prince. Guys, God when he divided peoples and appointed them to nations, placed them under the care of divine guardians as in divine angelic entities. When it comes to Israel, the one that acts as or overlooks Israel as divine guardian is this angelic prince called Michael. But here's the thing. As much as God did this with peoples, the enemy has done the same thing in terms of a counterfeit. Satan is not creative, but he... Is is an is an is an amazing forger in that sense, in the sense that he counterfeits what God sets up. God set up nations and peoples that could now be under the care of divine guardians. And so here's what the enemy does, and you see that in Daniel 10, verse 13. Daniel 10:13. Let me start at Daniel 10:12. Ready? Then he continued, "Do not be afraid, Daniel." Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of Persia, prince of the Persian kingdom, resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Then go to verse um, 20. So he said, do you know why I have come to you so soon? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. When I go, the prince of Greece will come. So just as God has appointed divine guardians over peoples and nations, there is a counterfeit where the enemy tries to preside over people through the appointment of demonic principalities or entities that can begin to infuse, infect, affect the culture of a people. How does he do it? Very simple. He offers a people the choice to pledge allegiance to forms that he establishes or to stay with the God who is creator. 
And the moment a people begin to pledge allegiance to forms that the enemy has created, now they are presided over by guardians that come from the spirit realm. Because when, when the nations were first divided and the boundaries were set, God appointed divine guardians. But somewhere along the process, nations have chosen to pledge allegiance not to the creator, but to things that are created. Forms of worship established here on earth by the devil. And once you begin to pledge, once a people begin to pledge allegiance to forms here on earth, that have nothing to do with the creator, but have to do with the created. Suddenly, a people have exchanged divine guardianship through angelic hosts for a counterfeit guardianship that then begins to infuse, infect, affect, and completely permeate their culture. For very long, we thought these were territorial spirits. And the moment you use the word territory, you think geography. But God has appointed divine guardians over peoples. Not over geographical boundaries. Israel had Michael guard them regardless of whether they were in exile or whether they were in Jerusalem. Which then means that even when we look at the counterfeit, when a peoples, be it Persia, Greece, Germany or Canada, begin to pledge allegiance to a counterfeit that now has guardianship over them. It doesn't matter where they go. They still carry with them mindsets and cultural forms that are anti-God or sheerly demonic regardless of where they go. It's not limited to geographical territory. So you can't really call them territorial spirits. It's not genetic. It is something, we'll talk about that in less than four minutes. It is not genetic. But understand that there is almost nothing in the physical realm that is not really affected by your connection in the spiritual realm. Either it is through what God does in my life or it is through the enemy. This is what Eddie was talking about when he said, Jacob, in your mind there are two gateways. One gateway allows earthly thoughts and the thoughts that are provoked by the enemy. And the other gateway provides godly thoughts that are from God. This is what happened to Peter. Two gateways in Peter's mind. One gateway said, you are Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, this revelation has not come from anybody else but the father. Shortly after, four verses after, another gateway opens. When he says to Jesus... You shall not go to the cross. This is not what you're called for. And Jesus turns around to the same man who received a revelation from God and says to him, Get thee behind me, Satan. You have no idea how it affects the way we think. This brings up a few things that we need to then deal with. First, Given that people groups are under some form of divine guardianship or the other. Just think of this. Eh? Most people groups or all people groups are under some form of divine guardianship or other. Which would mean then 
that when a church engages peoples that they are sent to, make sure that um, you go to people who God sends you to, not according to your qualifications, not, not according to the resources you have, not according to your abilities. I love Galatians 2, 7-9. Paul is... Um, uh, it's not in Galatians 2, 7-9 that he talks about it, but it's made evident there too. Paul is quite sure that given the fact that he was the Jew of Jews, that he would best serve God by being sent to the Jews. And yet God had specifically crafted for him ministry to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. It fell outside of Paul's purvey. All his expertise would have better help with the Jews. But he was sent to the Gentiles. One of the things we need to understand when we are sent is, Oh God, show us the peoples we are sent to so that we go where we are supposed to go. To go to a place where we are not supposed to go then brings us into a conflict that we are not supposed to be in. Go where you are sent. Because you will have less, you, you will have conflict, but it will be conflict that you, you will overcome. It won't be conflict that will prevent. Secondly, if you take on mandates that God has ordered, then know that Know that angelic hosts will engage hostile forces over that peoples because that's their assignment now to serve you. Many times Christian missionaries and churches go into areas and God has to send angels to rescue them, not to serve them. We got to have angels assigned to serve us, not to rescue us. If Shillong is a place that God has ordained for us, let's assume that the peoples of Shillong are a people that we are being sent to. Then know this, oh, and know this, because I've seen it. There is a guardianship, a hostile guardianship over Shillong. It, you will see it in physical form, in all kinds of animistic behavior. Of a people that for 150 years have been exposed to Presbyterian um, um, evangelism. And yet... Tons of animism exists. Matriarchal societies exist. Now, if we are sent to a people like that, and if that is the people that God wants us to go to, when we go there, know suddenly that angelic forces of God now begin to engage with hostile forces over that place or peoples because we are now sent on a mandate from God. When you go into a place... Where that is not the case, then most of the angels have to engage in rescue missions. Because you're in a wrong place and you need to be rescued. Forget Shillong and Canada. Now bring it down to nitty gritty our own Vancouver things. Try and figure out, Father, where are you sending me to? Who are you sending me to? Should I go or should I not go? Because depending on that, you either have to confront things that are beyond your ability or have the power of God in angelic hosts and engaging that which needs to be engaged so that while things are being taken care of in the spirit realm, you begin to function here on earth. 
Fourthly, you know, guys, um, thirdly, thirdly, guard against taking on the ways and mindsets of the people that you're sent to. Guard against taking on the ways and mindsets of the people that you're sent to. Oh, I can't tell you how important this is. Guard against taking on the mindsets and the ways of the people that you're sent to. It's a Trojan gateway. When I say, what I mean by a Trojan gateway is, remember when um, they brought that horse and it was full of soldiers and they brought it into Troy? Yeah. And uh, the city was taken. Guard against, guard against taking on the ways and mindsets of people that you're sent to. It happened in Numbers um, 31, uh, 16 and Numbers 25, 1. Here's what happened. Balaam tried to curse Israel. It did not work. So Israel arrives at a point near the promised land. And guess what Balaam does? He now sends Midianite and Amalekite women to say hello to the Israelites. And they come and they say hello in a way that gets these Israelites into bed. And the same curse that that they avoided through Balaam because God said, The curse shall be turned into a blessing. Now began to hit them as a plague. Because instead of guarding the ways. Of the people that they were going to take over. They accepted the ways. And immediately the same plague that was. That was avoided through Balaam. Now hits them. Balaam was the architect in both cases. There it was an outright curse that didn't work. Here it was a subtle deception. That worked. One of the things I. Uh, do when I go into nations is I try to decipher certain ways and patterns that are ungodly that are prevalent among the peoples that I'm going to minister to and then I build up fences saying Jacob you've realized this now in these areas make sure that you guard yourself certain nations may have uh, money issues certain Money issues are a little easier. Certain nations have strong sexually immoral situations that you have to guard against fiercely. Otherwise, you end up being caught in the very same thing that you're ministering to. Yeah. Hey, this operates on common levels, man. I, I, I am not at liberty to share things that I know because it, it, is, it is deeply disturbing and it is, it is horrible that is happening in this very city where people have gone out to minister and they have been completely rendered worse than um, you would find in a, in a nightclub in Vancouver. Talking about strong Christian pastors. Guard against taking on the ways and mindsets of the people that you're sent to. And this means any situation that you go into. If there is a place that you're going into that brims with control, guard against it. Hey, tomorrow if one of you gets a job in a church somewhere in Vancouver, guard against the prevalent ways of the people in that church. Because one of two things will happen. Either you will stand with a forehead like flint against them, or they will run over you and you will become like they are. That, that's the same in 
That's assuming that it is a church that does not understand order. It can be godly, but you still can not understand order. Fourthly, a church must have kingdom culture proceed over every other culture you belong to. In this church, the only culture that you should have primarily before anything else, I don't care where I come from. If Jacob's primary culture is not kingdom culture, if that is not what takes precedence over his Indianness, over his South Indianness, That's terrible, man. It's terrible. Don't for a moment assume that any of us here are without baggage from our background and from the peoples that we have come from. East Indians have it, the Brits have it, the Persians have it, the Canadians have it, the Sri Lankans have it, all of us have it. The Germans have it. And the Chinese have it. Pakistanis have it. Hope I've covered most. The Vietnamese definitely have it. Just in, uh, Nick was feeling happy that I left him out. <laughs> and, uh, we come from a peoples who have been influenced by things in the spirit realm. And when you come into a church, one of the first things that has to happen... Oh, the Aussies have it too. So do the Jamaicans and the Trinidadians. Persians, yeah. So, guys, the point being that you have to then deliberately go down a path of, I've got to let kingdom culture take precedence, which simply means that there is nothing in my life that I will give precedence to. I will not give my Persian or East Indian culture any precedence when it comes to making decisions. It will take its position only after the kingdom has precedence. What the kingdom value is, that will prevail over what my East Indian value is. If there is a clash, it will always be under kingdom value. Most of it is affected by the peoples we come from, man. Sorry? No, I'm not talking about personal experience. Uh, yeah. Oh, uh, guys, don't feel hurt. Huh? I'm going to say stuff that will affect our national pride, but so be it. Um, East Indians and Chinese may be clannish. Uh, we may have a greater degree of legalism. Yeah. We may have greater degree of legalism than perhaps some other cultures. German culture may be nationalistic. Persian culture may be proud. Vietnamese culture may be self-made, as in I've got to stand on my own and make it. Canadian and North American culture may be loose and immoral. The opposite of legalistic. Certain cultures are matriarchal. Certain cultures are patriarchal. 
the British culture may be a little snobbish. I'm, I'm putting in little there so that you're not too deeply offended. I don't. Neither do you, really. <laughs> Kingdom culture has to precede these values. Has to precede these values. Can't have matriarchal, denominational, national values that override kingdom values. Cannot have it. Because there's, there's, in every culture, there are things that are that can that are that are redeemable or that are that are good. So not for, don't think that everything is bad. That's why I said kingdom culture has to take precedence. Yeah. 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 At least with uh, some of us, it's a little easier. They know I'm not from Canada, in, in the sense of being Caucasian, because somehow this thing got tanned. But yeah, that's the first thing they ask. And there is affinity that is immediately established based on where you come from, which is okay. There are things that will be common, but it should never come to a point. Can you imagine if this church was all Indian, man? If this church was East Indian, because I'm East Indian. That would be terrible. Because that is exactly what the Bible says should not happen. Yeah. And that is exactly what the Bible says should not happen. Of many tribes, tongues, nations... Like I've always said, the only reason for a mono-ethnic church is that you don't know the language. That is the only reason for its existence. And as I've said before, the first church to die in the New Testament was the church in Jerusalem. The church that was doing quite well, both outwardly and inwardly, was the church of Antioch. Acts 13 gives you a glimpse of why. Because there were people from Nigeria, from um, Asia, from Jerusalem, from all over the place. Fifthly, guys, understand that the demonic is able to maintain ground in the lives of Christians through mindsets and strongholds. The demonic is able to maintain ground in the lives of Christians through mindsets and strongholds. If I have a certain mindset or stronghold, it becomes a hiding place for demons. If I have a certain mindset or a stronghold, it becomes a hiding place for demons. After that, you can go to as many seminars as you want and have as many deliverances as you want. But if Jacob refuses to break down that particular way of thinking, which often can be cultural, then it is impossible to be set free from the bondage that the enemy brings into my life. Because every time I listen to a teaching or a seminar, every time I go for deliverance, what happens is the demons, all they have to do is regress back to my old way of thinking and hide there till things are fine. Just think of that, eh? 
a stronghold in your mind becomes a hideout for the devil. All they have to go is, that is a safe place, because that is one place you will not allow change. That's a safe place to hide. Go ahead. Second Corinthians 10, verses 5 onwards. The weapons of our warfare are mighty for pulling down strongholds, philosophies and every high and lofty thing that raises up itself against the knowledge of God. So what then I need to do is, in a certain area when I have a stronghold, I've got to now go and pull it down. How do I pull it down? Two ways. One, by being willing to accept that this is a pattern that you've lived for, lived with for the last 25 years as a Christian. And it is a false pattern. It is built on faulty, unbiblical ground. Do you want to tear it or do you want it to prevail? If you come to a place where you can choose that I will tear it down. Now you tear it, yes, by calling it what it is. But tearing it alone is not enough. Now it has to be replaced by another stronghold that is from the word. Thought patterns in your life will be evident in your conduct. Guaranteed. The only person who probably won't see it is you. This is where the rest of the body helps. We are not talking about sicknesses and diseases here. We are talking about ways of thinking. My way of thinking will show in my way of living. The only guy who can't see it is me because I've got blind spots. Problem in a church this small is most people know you and they'll point out your blind spot. If you want to escape blind spots being identified, go into a church of 700, 800 people, you're safe. (laughs) You're safe from your blind spots being um, pointed out because nobody wants to come up to you and say, hey, uh, Jacob, you got a big nose. Nobody will say that. And Matt, we've talked about it. <laughs> Matt, may I interrupt you by saying, and we've talked about it, and uh, we've discussed as to how to go uh, about it by starting with one particular thing. And uh, we can talk about it again after we're done. <laughs> Strongholds can be demolished a bit by bit. Again, how did the Berlin Wall come down? They didn't nuke it. They took hammers and began to chip it down bit by bit by bit and suddenly the whole thing crumbled. But that wall no longer exists. I don't know whether you have to do it 32 times or 51 times or for 101 days. Depends on who you listen to in terms of destroying a habit. But man, when God sees that Jacob is actually willing to call a pattern in his life defective and is actually willing to be open to change, then again, all of heaven begins to back me on it. You take it a brick at a time. Knock out a few bricks and the wall begins to shake. 
You know, when you throw that ball to break that pyramid thingy that you have with those tins? You don't want to aim at the one on the top. You keep throwing it somewhere in the center so that the whole thing collapses. Gutter balls will never break down the pins, man. But one by one you chip away and it happens. Okay. Living under order. Living under order. Guys, God is emphatic about us living under order. He's emphatic about it. He, he's so into, Jacob, I need you to live um, under order here on earth. I have ordained it so. I mean, it applies to government. Look at Romans 13.1. Romans 13.1. Stay with me on this one, eh? We'll try to finish by 1 o'clock. But stay with me, please. Romans 13.1. Fascinating reading. Romans 13.1. Ready? Ready or not? Everyone must submit himself to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Just in case we didn't get it the first time, he repeats the same thing the second time. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Very clear, the consequence of breaking order. Grace covers, but there are consequences to breaking order. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fears of, fear of one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. Again, it comes back to willing and obedient. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servant who gave their, give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Guys, this is written by Paul, who is living under an oppressive system called the Roman government and isn't in the best, most democratic nation in the world. So just keep that in mind and we'll come back because you're already thinking of exceptions. Hold on to your exceptions for a little longer. Colossians 3. Let's look at employment. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 22. I'm going to change the word slaves to employees. Colossians 3, 22. Employees, obey your earthly employers in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Uh, Colossians 4.1 Employers, provide your employees with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Let's go look at marriage. Colossians 3, Colossians 3, 18 and 19. Wives, Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
If you have any question about this husband-wife thing, go listen to the teaching Jason did some months ago on why prayers are hindered between husband and wives and how the person in authority or power or first among equal in the order needs to function. Go listen to that. be really helpful. Family, Ephesians 6, 1, 4, 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Let's look at church. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Just keep turning pages and uh, it's after Hebrews. Uh, keep turning pages to your left. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Verse um, 5 and then verses 1 to 3. Young men, be submissive to those who are older. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Uh, Verses 1 to 3. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory, and that will never fade away. And in Ephesians 4.11, it talks about the order in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about it too. We won't go there because we went there last time. Want to look at another scripture. First Peter two, verse thirteen to fifteen. First Peter two, verse thirteen to fifteen. Again, it comes back to the whole government thing. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Whose sake? For the Lord's sake. To every authority instituted among men. Boy, is that a blanket statement. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live free, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brother of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Last scripture, Titus 3.1. Last scripture for now. Titus 3.1. Flip to the right. Titus 3.1. Flip through the right. Goes past Hebrews, Philemon. And then comes to Titus 3.1. When you go to the right, I will go to the right. When you move to the left. You know that song? Man, you're such an old timer song guy. Titus 3 verse 1. I, I, you were really grooving with God is good today. 
Remind the people to be subject to rulers, authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. Okay, all those scriptures just solidify this whole thing about order. So guys, Titus 3.1. It's depending on which way you're traveling, it's after Timothy or before Philemon. Guys, much sifting, much distress, much confusion and much affliction is the result of breaking the hedge in these areas that the Bible instructs us to follow. Much sifting, much confusion, much distress, much affliction is the result of breaking the hedge. Ecclesiastes 10.8, we talked about it last time. Break the hedge and the serpent will bite you. Much sifting and unnecessary confusion and distress comes when these things that God has ordained here on earth and has asked us to be under order in is broken. So let's go back to Romans 13.1. Here's where... um, Romans 13.1. Romans 13.1. Do I have to repeat something? Okay. Romans 13.1 How can God make a statement like this? That there is no authority except that which God has established. That's a tough thing to swallow. I mean, (laughs) if you look around the world and you think to yourself, how can it be? Romans 13.1 says, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. So how do you grasp that? Because the thing is, no, the moment Adam rejected the direct rule of God, God set up authority structures here on earth to restore peace, justice on earth. The moment Adam rejected God's direct rule, that is when God began to establish authority structures here on earth to restore peace and justice that had been lost. Israel was given this opportunity, you know. In 1 Samuel 8 or so, here's what happens. Israel is told uh, that God will be king. And what does Israel say? We want a king like every other nation. Again, God gives in to the request, but authority structures came to the earth when man rejected the direct rule of God. Just remember that. But how can we accept the statement in Romans 13.1 which says everyone must submit himself to governing authority for all authority is established by God. To understand Romans 13.1 you've got to look at Romans 13.4. Look at 13.4 first. Look at 13.4. Guys, when God institutes authority on earth this is his primary purpose. For any authority on earth is God's servant to do you good. That is where you begin. Authority on earth is God's servant to do you good. This is the origin. This is the purpose. This is the function. And this is the place given to the authorities that are placed over us. Unfortunately, even though this is the case, 
ones that are supposed to be in authority and be God's servant to do us good, now do not function in it. That does not, however, take away the fact that when God places them, He places us as His servants to do us good. So, take for instance the fact that God has placed me here in authority in this church as set man to do you good. That was his origin, that was his purpose, that was the function appointed to me, and that is the place he has given me in this church. Do you realize that tomorrow I could change completely? Does that mean God did not establish his authority? No, he established his authority. But does that mean I will live by it? Thank God thus far. But tomorrow, if I turn into a tyrant, Romans 13.1 is based on Romans 13.4. That those in authority violate their power is separate from the origin, purpose, function and proper place they were given. This is why those that are placed in authority will be accountable and will have to really face consequences before God here on earth, leave alone in after. So guys, here's the thing. Civil government... I'm not talking about, you know, some dictatorships are better than democracies in certain cases. But I'm not endorsing one form over the other. I'm just saying that civil government is established for our good. And therefore, God now says, Jacob, you are now required to stay in order and give to the civil government the respect and the honor that is due them. Because at the end of the day, I am the one who has established order here on earth. We'll talk about the exceptions. Hey, Jesus paid taxes to an abusive Roman government. Jesus submitted to corrupt religious authorities. This is the ultimate lawgiver. The the one in whom all justice and peace exists. Paid taxes to the abusive Roman government and submitted himself to corrupt Jewish leaders. And when it came to the point where they were going to hang him, what did he do? He entrusted himself to the one who judges righteously. So now let's talk about the exceptions, having said all that. You know, uh, while I was doing this, <laughs> I, I, I was clearing out, out things in my storeroom, and there was this broken laptop. Oh, the screen doesn't exist anymore. I don't, I don't even know where the screen went. The rest of the laptop is there, and uh, there, there was an external CD drive and all that stuff. And so while I'm preparing these notes, I was going down to do some laundry, so I thought take this and throw it. So I take it, put it in a bag and I went down. And as I'm going to throw it in the garbage, <laughs> there's these bold letters on the um, things banned from this garbage container. Laptop, laptop, that. And I'm thinking to myself, done. Uh, when I'm teaching an authority, even though there's nobody around and I can easily slip this laptop into this thing, can't do it, man. There is order. There are things that have been specified by the law of the land. So I took my computer bag and put it back in the storeroom. I'll give it to you. <laughs> I know. I drive by it every Sunday. Yeah. But the point is, 
you may think, ah, Jacob, this is being uh, too finicky. Hey, I've never seen you being finicky about gravity. Okay, so here are some... Ex- and by the way, one of the things I really like about Acts 29 is we seem to have understood order without there being rules. That's why it surprises me when any, when occasionally you see disorder as in not following order. Disorder, I don't mean disorder as in confusion, but breaking of order rarely happens and yet we don't have rules and everyone seems to know order. That's wonderful. That's how a Christian people should be. Order without rules. Fascinating how it works. Well done, man. Okay, here are some exceptions we've got to look at. Guys, when submission to one authority conflicts with submission to another, what do you do? It can happen at work. Sometimes it happens at home. Sometimes it happens in church. When... when when submission to one authority conflicts with submission to another, what do you do? Yeah, you always defer or submit to the higher authority. So, in families, learn this. That if the child comes and the mom says one thing and the dad says one thing, immediately, at least at that time, at that time, Defer to what the dad says. They'll sort it out later and they can come and talk to you. But defer to what the dad says. Thank God they can't see that I'm looking at you on the CD. (laughs) So, or when it comes to, let's say, the church. Let's say Hadi says something while I'm away that seems to contravene what I have said is the order of the house. Then you defer then to the higher authority. At the end of the day then, you take that one step further and who is the ultimate authority? God. So the highest authority is God. So when authority seeks to compel you to act contrary to the word of God, you'll have to respond like Peter did. On one hand, Peter is saying, submit to all authorities. On the other hand, in Acts chapter 5, when the Jewish authorities call and say to him, you will not preach anymore. You know what Peter says? That is fine uh, that you are saying so. But uh, I'm very sorry to say that I'll have to listen to a higher authority called God. Go there, Acts 5, 28 to 30. Acts 5, 28 to 30. Acts 5, 28 to 30. 27 to 30. Having brought the apostles and made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in in this name. He said... Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. And then he goes on to explain it. So the same Peter who says, Submit to all authority, all institutions here on earth that are authoritative, submit to them. The same Peter then says no. Because at the end of the day, when you're compelled to do something contrary to the higher authority, you have to choose to say no. Guys, in situations like this, disobedience cannot be equated with submission. In situations like this, you now disobey. But 
you don't do ungodly things in your disobedience. So here's what happened to Peter. Peter disobeys and so you know what they do? They beat the guy up. And he takes the beating. He does not rebel. What happens is with us is when we get a command that is contrary to the commands of God, instead of disobeying it and taking whatever the consequences be of disobedience, we begin to rebel. And in rebellion, you suddenly knocked yourself out of order. What you need to do is disobey. Because in situations like this, disobedience is not um, something you are called not to do. You are, it's okay to disobey, but you don't go into anything ungodly. No, it's not fighting off the beating that is rebellion. It is the fact that now you don't begin to raise... Take for instance the fact that I say something here that is contrary uh, to the word of God and ask you to follow it. You have one of two choices. You can either disobey saying, Jacob, this does not match up with what God is saying. Or you can go around creating sufficient distress in this house and raise people against me for saying something that was against, that was contrary. One spills into rebellion, the other is just disobedience because you have chosen to honor God before you honor me. What happens in churches often is when such situations happen, you begin to have factions that begin to rise up in rebellion. Remember, do not touch the ark if you're not called to carry it. Ungodly commands don't need to be obeyed. But don't become ungodly in rebellion either. Guys, leave rather than rebel. Leave the church, but don't rebel. It's safer and you're better off and you're blessed because you chose to honor God and disobeyed what was ungodly and you left. But choose not to rebel because the moment you rebel, you're out of order and when you break the head, a serpent bites you. So what about the guy who gave me a wrong command? Hey, trust me, man. God will deal with anybody who is in authority that contaminates, corrupts, abuses authority. The other thing we need to recognize is that submission can happen at different at two levels at the same time. What did they do when they came to Jesus? They came to Jesus and said, "Who should we pay our taxes? Who should we pay? Should we pay Caesar or should we pay God?" And Jesus said. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. So there are times when you can at the same time obey two authorities. Recognize that submission can be carried out on more than one level at a time. The Pharisees assumed that you could not submit to Caesar and God at the same time. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. There's no, there's no clash there. So remember that as a point which will come up in life at some point. Another woman that I really like who showed tremendous skill was Abigail. Here's Abigail's problem in 1 Samuel 25. On one hand, she has to honor her husband, Nabal, who was acting like a fool. Then there is David, who she has heard is going to be the king of the land. So she's got to honor David. And then she also has to make sure that in the whole process she's submitted and honoring God. She's got three things, man. 
And, and she does so well. You should go home and read First Samuel 25. This woman has the ability to honor Nabal, her husband, and therefore Nabal doesn't lose his life. He lives a few more days. Guy was foolish enough to get himself killed after two weeks. But he lives a few more days because she honored him, said, Nabal, let's do it this way. Went and spoke to him and did things the right way. Nabal was preserved. Then she goes to David and she knows David is the future king. And she goes to David and she talks to him and she prevents David from shedding blood before he becomes king. And in the process she also honors God. So on one hand she spared her husband's life in spite of his foolishness. Then she spared David from acting in a way that would be detrimental to his reign. And in both cases she turned both these men away from their intended course of action and yet did not violate any principle with God. Guys, exert wisdom in submission. You will help those that are in authority then. You will help those that are in authority. When you see Jacob going down a path, and I hope it isn't too often, where there is a possibility that something may go wrong, and you have the wisdom, not a fancy thought, but wisdom, godly wisdom, come and say, Jacob, how about doing it this way? It'll save me trouble. It'll save the person I'm going to cause trouble to. And yet you are submitted to me and you're also submitted to the person and you haven't violated things of God. Finally, guys, when submission we desire is not obtained, don't forcefully try to bring about submission. When submission that I desire is not obtained, don't force it. Don't fight, try to force submission. There'll be times when what you're saying is right and you have proper place. Your authority is from God. You're functioning correctly. The purposes are right. And yet there will be those that choose not to submit to order and to authority. When they don't recognize that it's always going to be a voluntary act, it's a voluntary act of obedience. It's a voluntary act of faith. Many times for women in a marriage, it's not just a voluntary act of obedience. It's a voluntary act of faith because they're thinking to themselves, how the heck can I trust this man? And yet you've got to step out in faith and say, yeah, I will because God will give him wisdom. You can't forcefully bring about submission. Hey, when was the last time Christ compelled you to submit? In fact, he served those who weren't submitting to him. <laughs> That's even more frightening. That's taking it one extra level. He served those who were not submitting to him. And so to use means of manipulation, to use guilt, to use physical or verbal threats is abuse. He wasn't asking anyone to submit. He was clearing his father's house. No, he was driving them out. <laughs> Why is it that you can choose who stays in your house or not? It's not a question of submission. It's a question of your domain. I mean, you 
you may not allow us to come to your house, yet you allow your cat to live there. Yeah, so it's different when it comes to your domain. That's a different way of looking at it. Uh, she'll be providing you anti-cat pills for the next Bible study. Just so you know. To use means of manipulation, guilt, physical or verbal threats is an abuse and uh, God will hold responsible anybody who uh, abuses one's authority like that. So please don't be foolish in this. Guys, at the end of the day, learn to live in order and it will be fascinating how the kingdom of God will break into different areas in your life that you're living under order in. The kingdom of God will break into your driving if you live under order. The kingdom of God will break into your finances if you live under order in your finances. The kingdom of God will break into your marriage if order is correct. The kingdom of God will break into the church when order is correct. The kingdom of God will break into your livelihood in this land. This land will rise and bless you when you follow order. The heavens above and the, the heavens will pour down rain and the earth will give you honey. The rocks will break and give you honey when you live under order. The place of your business begins to prosper in itself and in its prosperity you will prosper too when you live under order. By the same token, there's confusion, distress, affliction when there's a breaking of order because when you break the heads, the serpent bites. Questions, comments? Like I said, uh, like I said, 18 minutes, 23 seconds ago, it applies to government, employment, marriage, family, church, covers every area. If the government insists, for instance, that anybody who is a minister of religion has now got to marry those that uh, are not um, just um, man and woman, but uh, uh, same-sex couples, then now Jacob has a choice. Either he can give up, give up his minister of religion uh, authority and title, or uh, if they insist that it's been given to you and you have to do it, then you have, to count, you have to count the cost and say, no, because now you obey a higher authority. But what if that law isn't in place yet and the government Then you voice what you believe is the godly precedent. And, and guys, uh, can you, you can uh, turn it off now. Guys...